You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Morning, Forefront. Happy Easter. Christ has risen. Christ has risen indeed. All right, let's celebrate. I want to read you my favorite Easter passage. I've read it before. I'm sure there'll be plenty of times I read it again. And it goes like this. It says, Now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. <clears throat> and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, and Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And to that I say thanks be to God. Why is this one of my favorite passages ever? Because it makes no sense. I love that. Stories that make no sense. They belong somewhere. I'll give you an example. When I was a junior in high school, I was allowed to leave for lunch, and so me and my buddies, we walked out to go get bacon, egg, and cheese with salt, pepper, ketchup on a roll and a Snapple iced tea at the local bodega. And as we walked down the street, in the distance, we saw like this older guy, and this older guy had like an old muscle car that was kind of beat up. And he starts revving the engine, and he starts driving as fast as he can right, right towards us. And so we're like, hey, this guy's, you know, we, we should move out of the way. So we move out of the way, but then we recognize this guy's not going to make this turn that he needs to make. And sure enough, this guy's driving way too fast. He drives through the fence and into the front yard of someone's house, drives completely up, hits the back deck of their house. The back deck collapses on their car. The guy kicks the door open to get out of the car, takes a look at the damage, takes a look at the house and runs just runs and then this woman who owns the house who lives in the house she comes out and she is like oh my gosh what happened somebody help me and so the cops come and we're the only ones who witnessed this so we're the witnesses and so we start telling the police our story and eventually the police get really really annoyed with us in fact one of them starts yelling at us and he says, are you sure that you all saw this happen? And we're like, yeah, we saw it. And he was like, then why do you all have different stories? And we sat there and we were like, because when a guy comes screaming down the street in a muscle car, goes through a fence into the front yard, hits a deck, the deck collapses on his car, he kicks open the door, runs away, and another woman comes out screaming, your story is going to be told a little differently. There are different parts that some of us are going to focus in on. There are different things that are going to stick out to us. It's not going to be some clean and neat and tidy story. And at that point, we said enough, and we went and we got our bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches. You see... What we like are neat and tidy stories. We like stories that make sense, stories that don't get us yelled at. And in fact, the story of Mary Magdalene, who scripture and, and our history as a church has made out to be a person of pretty ill repute. So we have her 
and Jesus as a gardener is a story that doesn't make any sense. It buzzes and it hums and it, it has different levels of excitement and it feels a little extraordinary, right? It's the kind of story that's going to get you yelled at. It's that kind of story. And so what ends up happening is over the years, Christians have done a really nice job of making a story neat and tidy and into a transaction. We have tamed the resurrection story. How have we tamed it? Well, we've decided that it's a belief rather than a happening. What do I mean by that? Well, we've decided somewhere along the line, in fact, right around the year 1000 is when we started really talking about it. We started saying that, that God is, is kind of a big, powerful, loving God, but this God is also angry and a bit vindictive. And so because this God is angry and a bit vindictive, this God needs a blood sacrifice. That is the only way that we can see humanity as worthy again. And so what happens is Jesus comes and Jesus is our blood sacrifice, dies on the cross. And the resurrection shows us that we are now a part of God's family so long as we believe in this transaction and so long as we believe this story the right way, okay? Now we are a part of God's family. We're gonna spend all of eternity with God and with Jesus sitting at the right hand because God's wrath has been satisfied, blood has been shed, but resurrection makes it all better. Now, on normal Easter Sundays where we're not preaching from our living rooms, sometimes we'll even have an altar call. And that way we can actually measure the number of people who have decided to believe in this neat and tidy story. It's a transaction, complete with a way to be saved and we all have our nice clothes on and we get up there and people clap and you're all good, but don't mess up. And so we don't wanna mess up. What we do is we grab our scorecards and we have our sin management scorecards because God might get mad at us again. And so what this does is it makes it all about us. And there's nothing more than we love than thinking about us. And so I have my scorecard, not my scorecard. Do I believe all the right things? Check, check, check. Do I make sure I don't listen to Lil Nas X's new music video? Check. Do I not buy his satanic sneakers? Check. All right, good. Do I make sure that I, I like protest abortion and, and picket like, uh, you know, abortion centers? Check. Like, do I hate um, sexual sin? And am I all about like making sure that sexual shame is the way to go? Check. All right, I'm good. I'm in God's good graces. Now this does two things. This nice, neat transaction that used to be the resurrection now becomes a way that we do sin management. It's a way that we appease an angry God and it keeps it about us. You see, so long as I am good, then I don't have to worry about the systemic sins of the world. I don't have to worry about other people except to let them know that they should also believe in this resurrection transaction. That way they'll get to spend eternity with God as well. So it's personal. The second thing it does is it makes God super, super small. We are not worshiping God when we believe in this Easter transaction. We're not. We're worshiping ourselves when we believe in this Easter transaction. Because again, it goes back to us. What does my scorecard look like? Am I doing it all right? Have I made sure that I've dotted I's and crossed T's? Have I made sure not to upset God again? Am I asking other people to believe the same thing I believe? See, we're worshiping self. And the reason we do this is because we do not like 
the stories that hum and are extraordinary and have weird events and things we can't quite control or figure out. But this, my friends, is not just a transaction. This is a resurrection. And it's a resurrection that starts, starts with Mary Magdalene, not Jesus. Starts with Mary Magdalene, right? Like I said, the woman of ill repute. The woman who has sexual sin and the woman who's maybe a drug addict and the woman who hangs out with less than savory characters, the kind of person we might want to explain the transaction to, right? You know, you've got to get saved. In fact, if, if someone like that walked into our church back when we actually had space that we walked into, you know, we probably would not believe their story of resurrection, but we would probably pat ourselves on the back for making sure that they got the help they needed. Right? This is the kind of person we're talking about. In fact, and I love this quote, uh, and if I can find it, I am going to read it for you. Yes, here it is. The Greek philosopher named Celsus wholeheartedly believed that the story of Christ's resurrection had to be a hoax. And you want to know why? He says it. He says, the first witness was a woman. And as we know, women are prone to hysterics. So of course, it could not have been there. Of course we wouldn't set up this whole resurrection story with someone who cannot be trusted. But again, this isn't a transaction. This is extraordinary. It has electricity and it hums and it gets you yelled at by the cops when you tell it. And the truth of the matter is Mary fits perfectly into this story because the truth of the matter is this is the fitting ending to the story of Jesus Christ. Let's go back. Let's, 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 let's review, right? Jesus Christ was born in dirt. He was born in a manger. He was born with animals, maybe kind of the same place. You might see a gardener. He was born because there was a God who was really upset that people kept thinking about God as being vindictive and angry and in need of blood. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, he says, stop thinking that I'm vindictive and angry and in need of blood. Go love each other instead. And so God says, I'm going to come as Jesus in this place where a gardener might be. And then Jesus gets real enigmatic, right? He leaves his family when the culture of the day says, stay with your family, right? And live with them till you die. Jesus does it the other way. In fact, Jesus creates new family, a new community. And y'all, I know I've talked about the disciples a lot, but I am enthralled with them because this crew that Jesus hangs out with, you don't even have to get like a little bit figurative or, or make it a hyperbole. They were crazy. Like if, I'm to tell, if I was going to tell you who they were today, and I know I've done this before, but I'm, I'm doing it for me. Like Jesus is hanging out with like Trump level insurrectionists who believe in Q. And then there are a couple people who are from Antifa. And when you ask them, are you violent and riotous and from Antifa? They say, yes, and we are violent and we are filled with riot, you know, with riot. Like they'll say that, right? And then, so you have them, and then you have a couple people who are like ICE agents who not only arrest and deport immigrants, but also steal their money and belongings. They're that bad. So you have them in the mix. And then you have like a couple of like Upper East Side old school socialites who like, you know, have fundraisers at their beautiful 4,000 square foot apartment on the Upper East Side. Like that's the kind of people Jesus hung out with. I'm not even exaggerating, right? Neat and tidy stories aren't a thing so far, are they? Right? That's not it. And so Jesus goes around. What does Jesus go around doing? Goes around hanging out with the wrong people, eating with the wrong people, turning water into wine, using spit and mud to heal blind folks. 
touching other folks who nobody else would want to touch and saying really destabilizing things that would piss so many people off. Like, hey, the last will be first and the first will be last. Or sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Like, who wants to hear that, right? That's what Jesus was saying. And then, in a time where the Roman Empire was looking out for trigger words, trigger words like kingdom or king or Messiah, Jesus would say, I'm here to bring a new kingdom. There is a new king. I am the Messiah, right? Jesus would say those things in any part of Jesus's life. Would we wrap this up with a bow? Would we wrap the resurrection up with a bow? Or is having Mary Magdalene think Jesus is a gardener kind of perfect? But here's the thing. See, Jesus was killed by sin. He was killed sin just uh, by sin, just not in the way that we think about it. You see, he was... He was killed by a group of people who didn't like this upside-down way of thinking. He was killed by a group of people whose sin was to say that, yeah, there are some people who have and others who have not. And he was killed by a group of people who said, yes, some are in God's good graces and some are out of God's good graces. That was their sin. And he was killed by people whose sin was saying, no, whatever we have is something that we should hold on to because it's been given us to, to by God. And if you're poor or if you're broke or if you're one of the people in Jesus's crew, then you probably didn't deserve that in the first place. Those are the sins that killed Jesus. The sins that killed Jesus were saying, hey, we want to keep an empire in power rather than bring power to the people. That's the sin that killed Jesus. You see, there were sins that killed Jesus. They just weren't the kinds that we can keep on a scorecard. And so, the biggest sin, the biggest sin that was committed, and the biggest reason, the biggest reason that Jesus is killed is because Jesus actually made people ask the question, hmm, is God like Jesus? And notice I didn't say, is Jesus God? No, Jesus was killed because he forced people to ask the question, is God like Jesus? Because if God is like Jesus, then we've been doing it all wrong. And if God is like Jesus, then it changes everything. Then what we see in Jesus is God's own self-revealed. We are dealing with a God who is ridiculously indiscriminate about choosing friends, a God who would rather die than have a neat and tidy sin management system complete with scorecard. A God who would not lift a finger to condemn those who crucified him. A God who is so unafraid to get God's hands dirty for the one that God loves that God is called a gardener. And that this God rises to new life with dirt still under God's fingernails. And the truth is, when you dare people to ask, is God like Jesus? Of course we want to turn this into a neat and tidy story because there's nothing neat and tidy about the infinite and almighty being like the gardener, right? But Mary, Mary sees the gardener and probably he's not gleaming in angelic. My guess is he's wearing like a long sleeve linen shirt and a big floppy hat to keep the sun out. He's got a neck kerchief and he's, he's definitely got some blood and mud on his hands and he's definitely got a few scrapes from where the tomb was rolled away and he's digging in the dirt. And he says to Mary, Mary, I want you to go and tell my brothers. Basically, he says, Mary, you are going to be the first preacher. You are going to be the first evangelist. You are going to be the first 
missionary of my gospel. Because when a story does not make sense and it buzzes and it hums and it has excitement and it's not neat and tidy, then people like Mary become preachers and leaders and teachers. It is the only way. And I say this every time I preach on Mary. If Mary's the first evangelist, the first preacher, the first missionary, then let's stop with the nonsense of saying women can't lead. All right, thank you. All right, because that's in line with this resurrection story. And what Mary gets is Mary gets new birth. Mary gets new resurrection. Mary gets growth from the gardener. Like what does a gardener do? Gardener grows new things, brings new birth to things through dirt. And yeah, when something dies, a gardener resurrects it. That's why we have our annuals, right? Some beautiful flowers that we have, or the perennial, I forget which one. That's why we have flowers that continue to bloom, because that's what gardeners do. And so you see today, what I want you to know is that this resurrection story is not neat and tidy. It's not a transaction. It's not a belief. I am not going to sit here and tell you that so long as you believe in the resurrection, you're going to be in eternity with God, because that's boring. I know it doesn't sound that, but I'm getting to a point, right? What I want you to do is I want you to be a part of a story so radical that if the police asked you about it, they'd yell at you. That's what I want you to do. And so what I want us to do is to recognize that this resurrection story begs us to look for new birth. Where are we finding new birth? And usually we look in the same places, church services, worship songs, scripture. No. With this resurrection story, we get to look anywhere and everywhere because we have a God who shows us that God is in it all, digging in the dirt to bring about new birth and new life and new resurrection. And so the question I have for you today is where in your own life do you need to see new birth? Where in your own life do you need to see resurrection? It's been a tough year. Take one second, think about that. Even comment on it if you want to. Where do you need to see it? And then with this story, with this, this story that doesn't quite make any sense, know that God is at work in your life bringing that same resurrection that God brought to Mary out in the tomb. You don't quite understand it. Probably won't be linear. Probably won't be straight. There's probably going to be some dirt and some blood and some scrapes along the way. But new life is here for us. And you might have been told that new life is for some of us, right? Not all of us. That's how the transactional story goes. But we're here to tell you today, right now, at this moment, this story is for all of us. None are excluded. None are limited. It's no bait and switch where you're like, well, this story is for you until you become a leader in our church and then it's not for you. No. It's for all of us. There is new birth and resurrection for all of you because each and every one of you through the resurrection is a child of God without limitation. So where does new birth need to be found in you? How is resurrection going to happen in you? You know what I love? This resurrection story calls us to radical forgiveness. It calls us to cross lines, to forgive those who, who for way too long we've been told that they, they're not like us, they don't think like us, they don't act like us. No, it calls us not only to make amends, but to be accomplices, to make sure that everyone is brought into equity and everyone receives the love of Christ unabated full stop. That's what we get to do. We get to bring new life for others. We get to be the gardeners. We get to have dirt under our fingernails. 
how else are we going to bring this resurrection, this new life, this new birth? This journey, this resurrection story, says that there's radical love and new life when we are inclusive. You know, one of the reasons that we became an inclusive church is because of this resurrection story. And our LGBTQIA siblings, they're hurting. And a lot of times it's a matter of life and death. And, and, and you know, people are outraged at a Lil Nas X video. And they're not at all outraged at the fact that people like Lil Nas X were hurt for years and years and years. But Christ resurrected tells a different story. That that shame is a lie. That the good news is that there is birth in you and new birth in you. And that new birth in you is that you are made perfectly in the image of God. And new belief means we step up for those who have been minimized by power structures. New, new birth shows us that we don't have a culture defined by shame and sexual sin. But rather we have a God who loves us, our pleasures, and all. New birth should continuously and constantly surprise us. This story rattles and hums and moves and makes no sense. We should all not be able to tell it clearly, but we should all feel it and know it working in us. Where is it going to work in you today? Let's be expectant. Not expectant that I have to believe a transaction, that I have to believe a theory, that I have to believe a theology. Let's be expecting that there is a gardener working among us, dirt under fingernails, asking us to get down in the dirt with them to bring that new life, new peace, new resurrection. Be expectant of that. Or as Eugene Peterson says, this resurrection life you have received by God is not timid. It's not a grave tending life. It's adventurously expectant. It's greeting God with a child like, what is next? And it's God's spirit touching every one of ours and confirming that God is our parent and we are God's children. All of us, full stop, in this beautiful, completely wild, nonsensical resurrection. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you for your son who shows us what you are like, shows us what you care about, shows us what you adore and what you love. And what you love is not blood and justice. What you love is us. So thank you for a son that shows us that truth. Thank you for the resurrected gardener who shows us the ways that you're still at work in our lives. And thank you for Mary that shows us that even the most unexpected people become history changers, life changers, and amazing people who love others. Let it be that way for us today. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.